All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rise and Flow. We are your hosts, Raycon and Gabe Estrada. And we are attorneys for creators and multi-passionate entrepreneurs. That's right. And welcome to episode two of our podcast. And thank you so much for everybody that's tuned in to the first one, all the positive responses. And yeah, we're hoping to get you a, a new episode. Hopefully we could try it weekly, but yeah, we're going to do our best to get some cool guests on here and uh, yeah, get you some, some cool tips on business related legal stuff. I mean, we'll just be talking about everything. So hopefully we'll get that going. But today we want to focus on Raycon, the co-founder of Inflow and we get to learn a little bit more about Ray and how what makes him tick and how, how he became such a cool person and <laughs> how he ended up here. So uh, yeah, Ray, let's, uh, let's jump into it. I'm ready for it. Perfect. So Ray, obviously for our viewers that, that know our law firm, we're based out of San Diego, but you're not originally from San Diego, right? No. Yeah. No, I'm originally from New York, Long Island, New York. Island. Yeah. Yeah. Born okay. on Long Island, not in Long Island, like many people might uh, misconstrue, but yeah. On Long Island versus in Long Island, it's a big debate. Is uh, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? Because the classic thing, like, at least I'm speaking from everyone who's from Long Island, right? Yeah. Uh, usually when you're saying you're on the island, right? Yeah. Especially if you're from the city or you're in the city, you're like, oh, I'm gonna be on the island this weekend or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. I was born on the, on the island and when I came out to the West Coast and tell people like, oh yeah, I'm like mm -hmm. from Long Island or my house was on Long Island, things like that. People were like, on Long Island? Like, isn't it in Long Island? Like, yeah. you're not, you're not, on Manhattan, you're in Manhattan, right? That's yeah. usually the the classic debate there. But just to clear that up for a lot of folk out there. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, we, we learned something new. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> so yeah. So tell us a little bit about you growing up. I know you, you came from a family of entrepreneurs and uh, I know your mom, your sister, but tell us a little bit about, about that, about your upbringing and kind of what, what your childhood was like. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a, an interesting childhood. Actually, my, my parents, my mom was an entrepreneur, but not from the get-go, right? When my, my mom first started out, she actually was just someone who was like a nanny. She was someone who cleaned some houses for elder people. She watched children. She just did what she could until she eventually decided to put herself through beauty school. And eventually she became a hairstylist. But I remember like early, early on growing up, my mom would be just washing hair. Like when she was learning how to become a beautician, she would just be like washing women's hair, cleaning up the salons and everything. And I actually used to be with her because my parents couldn't afford childcare. I would just hang out with my mom at the hair salon all day. So I grew up in hair salons, just hanging out, doing whatever I could, just letting the time pass away. But I was a pretty, pretty chill child. So I didn't complain much. But yeah, it kind of started off that way. My dad was a bus driver. He was a New York City bus driver, a green line. He would commute every day from Long Island to into the city and he worked the night shift actually. So we didn't see him much, right? He was during the day or during the mornings, he'd be sleeping. And by the time I was in school and stuff, he'd already be off to work. So yeah, that was kind of like what my parents did. And then eventually my mom, she eventually got a job, became a hairstylist. She worked at kind of like this, like a small franchise, franchise hair salon in, in New York. And then eventually got to the point where she decided that she wanted to work for herself. So not far from where we grew up on Long Island, we, my mom basically opened up a 
hair salon, her own hair salon. She actually called it, I actually had the honor of na- like of naming it. And this is before I knew much about naming a business. My parents didn't really care, but it was actually called N&R Cool Cuts. Oh, <laughs> nice. N&R Cool Cuts. Yeah, and N&R stands for Nadia and Ray. It was named after me oh, and my sister. Yeah. So yeah, I was proud to participate early on. So your creative... Entrepreneur, creative entrepreneurship was already there as a young child. I mean, honestly, I mean, naming a business, that's a big deal. That really is. I mean, <laughs> regardless of helping in that, I mean, I, I bet you're, you're obviously proud. How old were you around that time? I was probably around like 13, 14 around that okay, time. So yeah. you're well, you, you're very well understanding of what was going on and all that. Absolutely. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. And at, at that age, did you kind of start seeing some of the now thinking back on it, did you kind of notice some of the, the issues that kind of we help our clients with while your mom was opening up that business? Yeah, absolutely. You go from being someone who just shows up and cuts hair all the time to someone who has to figure out inventory, right? For the products you're selling, the products you're using, everything from reading a lease agreement to setting up an LLC to getting the tax and doing the accounting and writing out the books and keeping track of everything, right? It's a lot more to learn. And my mom did a great job. She had the help of my sister, who at the time, I believe, was starting law school or in law school and basically help her kind of get an idea of like what she was supposed to expect. But for the most part, there was a lot of unknown, like as many business owners uh, explain, as you mentioned in the previous episode, opening up your own tattoo shop, there's just kind of figure out like, what's the next step? Let me just tackle one step at a time. But hey, you, you find a way to do it. And especially someone like my mom, who is a huge inspiration for me. Like I said, she went from grinding. She was working all day doing whether it be like watching children or cleaning up houses to going to beauty school at night, taking care of me and my sister the entire time. Like she was definitely an inspiration on me and just seeing how much hard work goes into it. Right. A lot of people look at business owners as not doing much work, but especially if you're a doing it yourself or a solopreneur for the most part. Yeah, my mom owned her own business. She had her own hair salon. She had like 10 chairs in there that people can cut at. But for the most part, she probably was just ma- mainly her, right? <laughs> so it was mainly like an empty salon with a lot of chairs. And sometimes she had other people in there. But I learned a lot from just like treating your clients right mm-hmm. to building a name for yourself, having a reputation and knowing what, what she was good at and just yeah doing that, showing up as that, right? So yeah. did you have any roles like in, in the shop? Like when you were there, like were you customer <laughs> service or picking up the phone? Yes, uh, I would probably just be the person who swept up the hair. Oh, uh, that was all my only <laughs> obligation there. Yeah, so. oh. I wasn't trusted much. So. Oh man. <laughs> well, that's so that's that's really interesting because yeah, I mean, you got to see your mom kind of go through this transition of yeah, being kind of her working for some actually being a, a stay at home kind of mom and then watching kids and then literally building this, this whole company. So that, I mean, that as a kid, I'm sure that had to have been inspiring. You also mentioned your sister. So t- tell me a little bit about your sister and kind of her and you're saying she went to law school. So you were about 13 for your probably middle school, early high school. Yeah. I mean, I was a little older by the time she actually did go to law school. So by the time she was in law school, she was back in New York. So she originally, the reason I even came out to San Diego in the first place is because my sister went to college in San Diego. And when I was visiting her in college, I was like, this seems like a cool place. I think I want to be here too. So yeah, by the time she came back to New York, she was already back in law school in New York. And at the same time, she was also inspired 
to open her own frozen yogurt shop. Now, at this point in time, frozen yogurt was pretty big in on the West Coast and wasn't that big out in New York, actually. There was not many frozen yogurt places, probably zero, actually. So the idea of like self, especially like self-made, not self-made, but like, I guess, make yourself, make it your own Sunday kind of frozen yogurt idea, right, that we see here, wasn't that popular out there. So she brought that to the East Coast. She was actually the first like DIY, not or like do it yourself, frozen yogurt. Yeah, it's shop. Those ones where you like yeah. pour everything and they weigh it and like you put your whatever sprinkles. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Okay. exactly. Yeah. So she was actually like the first frozen yogurt shop like that on the island back in, I don't even know what time this is, but probably like around 2010 ish. Yeah. So yeah, she decided to open up her own frozen yogurt shop while she was going along with the, like one of our cousins. So. Okay. Yeah, that was like inspiring as well. And my sister was also just a big inspiration on me as well. Everything from why I even came out to San Diego, why I ended up going to law school was mainly because of my sister and you know, kind of the path she led. And as first generation college students, we don't have many role models that are doing things other than, I guess, blue collar work, right? We knew a lot of people, I mean, especially the town we grew up in, a lot of the people we knew worked, my, my dad was a bus driver, my mom was a hairdresser, some people worked at grocery stores. That was basically it. I didn't really know a lawyer growing up. I didn't know a doctor growing up. So just seeing, being able to see my mom become a business owner just gave me a basically insight into like, oh yeah, like there's things outside of just showing up and working nine to five every day. And same thing with my sister. So yeah, she opened up that frozen yogurt shop and that was more of like a, you know, I was a little older at the time seeing that happen and just figuring out like, oh yeah, like these are the fun, this is the fun things when opening a business, like the branding and being able to create a certain way. It was a, it was a very fun yogurt shop and my sister made it like, there was a very high feminine energy inside, which is, which is great. Like once again, just knowing who your customers are, who you want to serve. A lot of pinks, a lot of like it was like black and pink was the main colors. So yeah, she was very smart in like the way she kind of marketed it. And I was like, she was doing that while she was in law school too. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's, and that, I bet. So by that time, you've already seen two strong female people in your life start their own business and kind of get into business for themselves. So yeah, I'm sure that's, I mean, that's huge inspiration. And especially if you already looked up to your sister, how, how, how many years apart are you and your sister? About five, yeah, five okay. years apart. So it's not that much. So you're yeah. kind of, so when she was opening up the Froyo shop, were you, you're still there or you're in college already? I had just started, like I was, by the time, like the grand opening happened yeah. and then like a week later I was off to college, so. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so then you you moved, you decide to take the dive and you you come to San Diego. Where, where'd you go to school? So I went to University of San Diego, go Toreros. <laughs> there you go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, obviously you, you left your hometown, right? You're, you're from Long Island, you left your hometown, you're in San Diego. What made you choose USD and what, how was that experience like? Yeah, so I was just growing up, it was just odd, but like in high school, I was a mix of jock, I guess, and like nerd, right? So I hung out with like the nerds and the AP classes I was also on the football team, but I was also captain of the tennis team. And I got good grades, but I also was like not trying hard at all. I was just kind of coasting. I was, I guess the only class I really did like was biology actually. And, but at the same time, I was just very lackadaisical at the same time. <laughs> so like I went to USD mainly because I just thought it was really cool here. I was growing up in Long Island. I was from suburbia. We have beaches and stuff like that, but at the same time, it's, it's pretty lame. So. I always thought about like California would be pretty cool. And 
I decided like, why not? My sister went to USD. I knew it was a cool place to be. I only applied to like two colleges and I was just really putting all my eggs in one basket really. So I ended up at USD and I was going to go for biology. And I don't really know exactly what I was going to do with that degree. I, was, I always wanted to be a zoologist. At the end of the day, I really wanted to be the next Steve Irwin in a way. Maybe I would have had to develop a fun accent. I have no idea how that could have turned out. But actually, at the same time, once again, being super lazy, I missed the deadline for like signing up for classes. <laughs> and I, by the time I told them, like, hey, I want to, I want to be in biology classes, they're like, oh, that's booked up. Sorry. But we have environmentals open. That's kind of like biology. And I was like, sure, why not? So... I became an environmental major just because I was lazy to sign up for the classes I need to and didn't want to change it later on. So yeah, I became an environmental studies major, did that through college, thought I was going to make maybe become a marine scientist or something like that. Had no idea I was going to law school until probably my junior year when I realized like, okay, with this degree, I probably could be like a scientist testing dirt, testing water and stuff like that. So I was like, maybe I'll, I'll just go to law school. It was kind of like a like an opt-out. Yeah. Well, and I, kind of backing up for, for college, did as far as like the, the academics, part, I mean, you're saying that you're kind of eh, lazy about signing up, but like, how did you do? I mean, were, did you do well like in college or? Yeah. So funny story. When I first arrived at USD, I was just like thinking it was the same thing as high school. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had, I had like not a huge scholarship, but I had a scholarship to help pay for things. And I remember after my first semester, like my grades were not good. And I had, was in jeopardy of losing my, I was like on the academic probation jeopardy, losing my, my scholarship. And that was a huge wake up call for me because yeah. once again, going to like being that like first generation college student and knowing how hard my parents worked, how hard they, all the work they did to help me get to that point. And I was just kind of like, wasting it right and that put a lot in perspective for me where i finally it like turned something on in me to actually like be responsible and take accountability for what i was doing and, and, the, and the importance of what i was doing right like going to college is a big deal and i didn't realize that until i was almost taken away from me so i worked my ass off and i eventually didn't lose my scholarship and actually was able to become a little bit more academically inclined taking interest in like the things I was doing, the skills I was developing and yeah. things like that. So yeah, that was, that was a huge wake up call for me because that, that could have went a lot of different ways, but I'm glad I was actually yeah. able to surround myself with the right people and, you know, do what I had to do to, to make that work. So. Right. Cool. All right. So then tell me about, I, and I know obviously the, the, the time at college, cause I always hear these stories from you and there's, they're so cool. Like, you had some pretty like life-changing experiences though like during that like where you got to travel like to these foreign countries and have these amazing oh, yeah. experiences mm -hmm. and yeah tell us tell us about some of those yeah i'm gonna relive my glory days right yeah. now but yeah when i was back in school i was I had the opportunity of going abroad right traveling abroad and i didn't want to just go to madrid and a lot of like really great travel abroad programs but i found that there was something called semester at sea and if for those who don't know, Semester at Sea is basically this like big cruise ship that is filled with college students that has professors on board teaching classes that you can get academic credit for. And then instead of being in one country for four months, you're actually going port to port around the world. And our voyage actually went, went completely around the world, which is really cool. And yeah, we started, we started actually here in San Diego. 
and then we left to Hawaii, Japan, traveled through Central, Southeast Asia, all that stuff, India, eventually to South Africa, all the way up to Barcelona at the end. So we hit about like 14 ports on the way. And that was a huge life-changing experience for me. The interesting about that program was at the same time, and this doesn't happen all the time on this, on the study abroad program, but there was something called Unreasonable Etsy at the same time. And what that is, it's from the Unreasonable Institute in Colorado, which is basically a kind of like an incubator program for entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurship. And that kind of opened my eyes a lot about what I wanted to do in the future. Because while I was on the ship, traveling, learning firsthand, gaining a lot of experiences, being in different country, waking up every day and being in a different country almost, that we always say. At the same time, we were given firsthand experience with these entrepreneurs who were invited onto the ship from all over the world to basically, one, just be with each other, right? It was just developing community from people who are working on different things, right? We had people who were developing these plants that were going to purify water that can be planted in just agricultural areas in Africa that can help purify the water. And then there was like other people who were working on educational initiatives, all at different parts of their journey to one, kind of basically leverage what they call the island effect is that if you're trapped on an island with someone, you're gonna find ways to share resources, look out for each other and try to survive and try to thrive actually. So that was the whole thing was that the ship was supposed to be their island where they were basically forced to have tough conversations about their plans, their marketing approaches, things like that. And we were just there that sometimes we were basically, it was like an internship, being able to be so close with them, like tackle these actual issues yeah. and just learning a lot about entrepreneurship in general. And knowing that it's not just about making profit, that there is a social aspect to entrepreneurship or yeah. there can be. And that's kind of the new entrepreneurship. This was back in 2013 where it was really eye-opening to be like, oh wow, like you can make money and you could make a difference at the same time, yeah. which stuck with me for a while up until now like this is what yeah. we're doing now so that was huge well then the, the and i brought that up because if you if you think about it like a lot of those a lot of those concepts that you're bringing up are incorporated into inflow the whole the, the nautical theme i mean just just that alone this whole concept of, of island right it's the, building this community around our services and and again i think the, the social aspect of it that's what we're trying to do we're trying to open the, the law to everyone, accessible to everyone. So it, it's it's really interesting to hear a lot of the, the stuff that's from your life, how it's incorporated into into inflow. Oh, absolutely, I, totally influential. Yeah. Now I want to, Now there's there's a big a big kind of person that was there that you got to hang out with and meet. Tell us about that. Yeah. So going back to community, right? So obviously on the shipboard community, there was these entrepreneurs. There was these students from all like different schools all over the, the country, all over the world, actually, professors from all over the country and staff from all the country, but also guests, right? For certain ports, sometimes guests would get on from one port. Maybe they'll get on at Japan and then dock off at India, right? Take a little, little part-time voyage with us. And we had the honor of having Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa on board with us. And he was on, on board with us for a while, actually. He got on with us in San Diego and then got off, I think in South Africa. Yeah, we basically brought him home. 
And on the ship, it was just great because he's a huge historical figure in South yeah. Africa, world leader, just or just like world influence, right? Just a preacher of love and community. And it was just crazy to be like, we'd be on the ship just having dinner and he'd just be right next to us, like yeah. with his, his, his uh, contagious laugh, his little words of inspiration. And at the same time, like, I got to develop a little bit of a relationship with him, but more so his caretaker. I developed like a, a good relationship with her, shared my story with her. And by the time we were, it was time to basically drop him off in South Africa, he wanted to invite some professors and students from the ship to his house. Wow. Now, out of about 700 students on the ship, he invited five students. And I actually got to be one of them. Wow. Who was able to go to his house and just share lunch with him, meet his wife, meet his kids, yeah. just take a tour around his house. And he has a modest home. It's nothing too crazy or fancy, but he's got these pictures of him like meeting all these world leaders, Mother Teresa, Muhammad Ali, and like obviously country leaders and things like that. So it was a really insane experience. And a big thing that Desmond Tutu or Archbishop Desmond Tutu preaches about is Ubuntu, which basically mm -hmm. means I am because we are is a simple translation of that. And it's really just a focus of the fact that there really is no, your, there's no personal ego to these things. Like yeah. we are the reflection of our community. We are the reflection of the people we surround ourselves with and however you want to interpret that. And that was huge for me. Just knowing that like this, this idea of collectivism, right? Yeah. And that was something I wanted to capture when we started Inflow, right? As a, as we launched this kind of legal membership program, I wanted to make sure that community was centered to it. Yeah. That's why we encourage our clients to work with one another, to right. lift each other up, to share resources, right? Even if you're competitors, right? Like even if you're not in our membership program, looking at the community of entrepreneurs in general, looking at the community right. of your clients, looking at the community of your collaborators and things like that, I think it's just so important to, to leverage that and take away the kind of like competitive nature of things mm -hmm. and knowing that you know once again going back to the nautical thing but like a rising tide does lift all ships and i truly yeah. believe that so yeah that was the inflow was kind of just like the channel that allowed us to kind of like mend these all together yeah. and provide it in a certain way yeah no i love that i love that and and you're absolutely right i mean that's the the kind of focus of inflow is the community and and in fact empowering that community right i think that's that's a huge part of it and i love that that taking away the ego of, of it right it's not about the competition it's about raising everybody especially when you're talking about communities of just underprivileged communities communities of color that, that i mean a lot of times band together to kind of help each other out so yeah. that's that's a, a great way to put it man that that's amazing so okay so then you you have all these awesome experiences and all that you graduate from usd what's going through your mind now what are you are you saying i'm gonna go back home or are you what are you gonna do yeah so at that point i knew that by the time i was graduating usd i basically knew i wanted to stay in san diego so just trying to figure out any way to do that and I also knew I wanted to go to law school, so I applied to California Western, right, where we went, we, we where we met, and yeah, just mainly that was the whole idea, was just finding out a way to stay in San Diego and being able to continue on with like this academic journey I was on. Once again, I was graduating with an environmental studies degree, didn't really look forward to any of the career choices that were 
available to me with that degree. So I decided like maybe environmental law could be something I, I can apply this, this knowledge to. So yeah, that was kind of like my foot in the door into law school. And obviously things changed when, once I made a law school, I learned that environmental law wasn't for me. I wasn't really anything that intrigued me about the practice, yeah. but I learned a lot of other things along the way. I found out what, what I actually did enjoy about the law. Yeah. And actually just talking about like academic, like pursuits, even in college, like, yeah, I learned to get my shit together, but it was in law school where I realized I was like, wow, I actually kind of enjoy, it was weird. Like, I guess I was like, actually enjoyed like learning about it. Yeah. The pedagogy they say, yeah. right. About case law and whether it was criminal procedure or contracts or intellectual property, I was really intrigued by it all. And I was really getting into my flow of learning about it yeah. and becoming academic. Like I really, it really was an academic pursuit for me to like be good at law. So yeah. that was really fun to just kind of find out about myself, which I had no idea. Like I had no idea I was going to be a lawyer yeah. until it was like a last resort to kind of save, save me from, yeah. I don't know, becoming a, uh, bi like I don't even know the environmental scientist or whatever. Right. So when it's funny because yeah, in, in law school, I, and I actually do remember like, my kind of first impression of you and kind of just just my memories from when we first started chatting is that yeah you're kind of focusing on on environmental law and i remember you being very like passionate about the environment and all that yeah. and then yeah as when you're in law school you you start to realize that some of these these fields like i think environmental law is, is a is a perfect example the jobs are really in the kind of the polluters right yeah. defending against the law so you, you kind of realize real quick that it's like you're trying to do a noble kind of profession and kind of help the environment but in reality the corporations that are polluting the environment are the ones that are going to be hiring the attorneys to to defend against those laws yeah oh absolutely like i know a lot of environmental lawyers who are employed by like exxon mobile right. fossil fuel companies things like that yeah. and then the opposite is just like you work for a nonprofit yeah. that's suing them. So at the yeah. end of the day, you're either in court all the time or you're working for mm -hmm. Satan. So, <laughs> but no, not yeah. Satan, but yeah. like you're working yeah. for like a fossil fuel company or Exxon Mobil, Shell, things like that. Yeah. Helping them kind of skirt around environmental yeah. regulations or influencing environmental regulations. So. Yeah. Well, and then even after, because I, I do remember, so obviously we went to law school, we graduated, we passed the bar and then, you know, we, we started working, right? We started working right off the bat. And I, I remember you right out of law school, you, you didn't get into some type, you know, like you were still working on environmental issues, right? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, just while I was in law school, probably even my first year, I realized like probably environmental law is not going to be the thing for me. I realized I was really good at contract law. That's when I got eventually invited on to be like a TA for contracts for my final two years in law school. I just really liked reading contracts, understanding them, making them better, and just understanding that the fact that they apply to everything. So yeah. it was great to apply what I was learning in school to, I don't know, music, right? Applied to movies, right? Yeah. Basically everything that's happening is basically being written in a contract and agreed on and signed in writing. So I was looking at it, the fact that if I want to be a professional attorney, I guess contract law is the easiest way for me to apply it in any way, manner, I don't know, in, in any practice I can take it forward in for a certain industry right. would make the most sense. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. So, and I do remember that welcome to contracts. 
Yeah, yeah, my little play on words, contracts with my last name. But yeah, so while I was in school, I was like, I, but at the same time, I was a little unsure about myself too. We just took the bar. And for those of you who don't know, like you usually, after you graduate law school, you study for three months, you don't have a job, you just study for three months, you take the bar, and then you wait three months to hear back on whether you passed or not. And honestly, like I, I studied hard. I took the bar. I was fairly confident in it, but I was also just very nervous. I was very anxious about whether I passed or not. And I was very unsure if I even wanted to take it again, if I needed to, right? And I'm over environmental law. But at the end, after we graduated from law school and after we took the bar, I was kind of pretty sure that I wanted to work in copyright law or trademarks or contracts in general, right? I wanted to be a business advisor, right? I wanted to be a business attorney. So while I was waiting for results, it was time to get a job, right? And a lot of people get post-bar post-bar positions. You get you go work for a law firm or some type of, whether the government agency, like the DA's office, right. PD's office, and you get a job that's promised or on, contingent on the fact that, hey, like come be a post-bar clerk with us. And if you pass the bar, then you automatically get a job with us, which sounds great, but also sound it's nerve wracking, right? Like what if you fail now you lost that job, right? So I was, I don't know if I wanted to play that game. So I was looking for jobs that didn't really require a law degree. And I was checking out like what was available to me. And lo and behold, in our local listing at our school for career choices, there was a new job posting for environmental policy advisor for the city of San Diego for a council member. And they were specifically looking for someone with a law degree, even though a law degree is not required. They were looking for someone with one and looking for someone who had a background in environmental science. And I was like, wow, this job description was written for me. <laughs> so I showed up, nailed it, the interview and got the job. I loved it. I just was, I had no idea that that position even existed. I didn't even know who my council member was at the time. I didn't know what a council member was in general. <laughs> so it was just very like eye-opening in the fact that I kind of treated that job as like a, I always say this is my master's degree in public policy. Yeah. So I had no idea how local government worked, but I was able to get this position where I was able to help advise on some meaningful legislation that occurred here locally in the city of San Diego and really tapping into meeting a lot of different environmental stakeholders, working on cool projects, learning about what's up and coming mm -hmm. and a lot of cool nonprofits that are doing a lot of great work when it comes to climate change, you know, water conservation, things like that. So yeah, yeah that was quite doozy, but definitely not something I expected and definitely different than what we're doing now. So yeah. So and yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing you sometimes like there was like, Kind of the equivalent of like c-span right where you could see like the hearings and all that and see you in there and talking yeah and educating i guess right that's kind of what you're doing right you're educating the council members about certain issues yeah i remember there was a big a big issue which is funny because i think in a lot of cities it's it's up and coming the whole like motor scooter right the e-scooter the the, yeah. the birds here in mm -hmm. san diego it turned into like this i mean literally it was not only was it a hazard at one point, it was, they were littered everywhere. I mean, there was, there was times where you'd see like a little mountain full of where people would just start dumping them like oh, yeah. over the edges. The great scooter wars of like 2018. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And I remember you talking about, about that and some of the policy work that you guys were doing around that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So for those of you who don't know, back before scooters were a thing, there was, there was no regulations, obviously. But when they when they came to town, they just dumped their scooters on on the sidewalks, yeah. right? No regulations. They just said, screw it. Like, we're just going to do it. We don't know if we need a permit or not. 
we'll see if they can stop us or if if they ask us for permits yeah. then we'll we can help out with that but yeah so we just there was a big problem with just like who owns these things yeah. like who's responsible if someone gets hurt like how many are in the city we have no idea we don't know like they're collecting data from citizens who are using the apps and like what are they doing with that so there's a lot of like uncertainty about what was going on so obviously regulations were needed but specifically my council member was the council member for the coastal district, right? Or one of the two coastal districts. I mean, there was a big issue with people using scooters on the boardwalks. Now, just given the fact the way the boardwalks are, it just didn't make sense for motorized vehicles in general to be on boardwalks, right? Just there was uh, issues with kids getting hit by, like ran over by them. Someone actually died on the boardwalk just from falling off a scooter. It's a sandy surface. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of pedestrian traffic and here are people like zooming in and out with like different scooters in different shapes and sizes with crazy acceleration speeds. It just wasn't, didn't make sense, right? And obviously it pissed off a lot of people, it pissed off all the surfers, pissed off all the traditional beach goers. So one of the things we actually led on and something like that I actually went to council and basically was the person telling the council like, hey, this is the proposal, answering questions on behalf of this and moving this legislation forward was to ban these scooters on the boardwalk, which did pass. It was not an easy thing to get passed because there was a lot of politics involved, but there's nine council members and it passed 5-4 with a simple majority. So we were very proud about getting that passed. And yeah, th- that was just fun. Once again, kind of like my master's degree. And I look at that as like my thesis, right? Yeah. In that. So That's- yeah, it's always, even if we always talk about just kind of like going with the flow and like what's taking the opportunities that come forward to you. and. To me, like I'm, I'm, I don't regret anything about my time at the city council and being a policy advisor and things like yeah. that. It was a huge, just like growth for myself personally and how I present myself professionally, what it means to do good work, what it means to work at a team, yeah. and what it means to get things done, honestly. So, yeah, that was a that was a fun time. But during during that time, you were still doing you were doing contract work still, right? Kind mm-hmm. of, yeah, right with with other. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At the same time, obviously the position I was in wasn't a normal attorney position. And I knew that. I knew that eventually I wouldn't want to always be in politics. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to always be in public policy. So I wanted to make sure I kept those skills fresh that came with being a lawyer, being an attorney, especially for the actual work I wanted to do. So at the same time, while I had this full-time position at the city council, I was also a contract attorney. I was working with as basically a freelance attorney with a local small firm owner, right? He was great. He worked mainly with small businesses. Sometimes they were medium-sized businesses, but he worked mainly with contracts, a lot of business formation and trademarks. That's where I kind of like got firsthand experience on learning about trademarks and like prosecuting trademarks, filing them and things like that. So that was like a great experience just to keep my, once again, skills fresh and kind of develop that skill set. And then I also was a general counsel for a small nonprofit. So the, once again, being able to form a nonprofit and then basically oversee all the legal matters, all the contracts and things like that, once again, was just adding to my skill set yeah. of being an attorney, which I was super proud of. And once again, gave me the confidence that if I needed to do this for a client, I would know exactly how to do it because I did it firsthand. So yeah, I was, I was at a time basically holding three positions. I was really busy for those three years on the city council. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I definitely remember that. And it's, it's, it's so interesting to kind of see that too, like, right. Like kind of in the, in, in the work that you put into, to inflow too, because you could kind of see pulling from all these, these experiences and kind of how it, it all kind of molded into, 
into what you do and what your 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 individual practices, right? For yeah. whether you're still looking out for for the general public. I mean, because you still do that. I mean, it's it's not like something that you could just turn off, right? No, like yeah. you're still very conscious about social issues and you're very want to push that that envelope forward. So it's really, yeah, really interesting. So you're at the council with the council member, you're, you're doing all this and then 2020 hits, right? And I bring that up because I remember it during 2020 because me and you, we were always friends, right? Yeah. We, we stayed friends. And uh, around that time, I remember we linked up again specifically because of my tattoo shop, because as you were in the council with the, with the council member, a group of tattoo shop owners reached out to you because you're again, the kind of the, the, the council for, for, for that Congress lady. And uh, it was, there was this big push to kind of help at least reopen some portions of the tattoo industry. And I remember we kind of linked up again because you, you brought it to my attention that there's these, this group that was doing that. And I was already trying to push that as well. Do you remember that? Yeah, I yeah. do. Yeah. I do. But obviously once the shutdown actually happened, tell us about you, how, how that kind of just changed your, your lifestyle, and your, your life. Yeah. So it's kind of twofold. Obviously it was a shutdown, but another thing that kind of was happening at the same time was that my council members term was coming to an end. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I needed a, I, I knew once again, that I wasn't going to stay in public policy. I wasn't going to stay in politics. So I knew that this was a perfect time to like step away from it. Right. My right. council member who the main reason I even stay there that long is mainly because of her. Like she was a great, she was an entrepreneur too. Her claim to fame was being very successful in her investments and being very successful in the way she used her time and the things she built. So I've learned a lot from her just firsthand on like how she managed and her business expertise and things like that. And then by the time, so I knew that I didn't want to work for another council member. So I knew that, all right, we talked about inflow for a while. We knew we wanted to start our own firm. And then he thought like, this is the perfect time, right? I'm about to lose my job per se, yeah. not lose it in a bad way, but it was coming to an end. Yeah. And I also knew that based on the fact that the things we did speak about inflow, even before the pandemic, we already knew we wanted it to be virtual. Right. We knew we wanted it to look a certain way. Yeah. And it just made sense because before the pandemic, there was less people expecting virtual services, right? right? During the pandemic, that's what people it switched, right? There is a, a, a turn in the, the polls, basically, yeah. where people were expecting, even post-pandemic, virtual services over in-person services. Right. So it was just perfect. Things were matching up. There's a lot of new business owners happening during the pandemic, right? A lot of people either kind of figure out what to do because they either A, lost their job or two, were unhappy with their job and realized that there's opportunity to pursue their passion and turn it into maybe some form of profit. So just looking at all the trends, it was like the perfect time for actually the, for us to pull the trigger on launching yeah. what we've been talking about for at that point, like three plus years. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it just can, another thing is just like why I even thought the time was right was because I was also struggling, right? Like it wasn't a swish, like a, an easy transition, but I was struggling because even I knew like after I knew I had to like leave my my job at the city council, right. I also was trying to get another attorney job, right? Because I knew we wanted to launch inflow, but at the same time there was like there was confidence was an issue, right? Well, I mean, like any business. I think yeah. a, a, anyone there's there's always hesitation, right? And it's everyone 
tends to thread really lightly when it comes to businesses, right? Because look, remember, I mean, I talked about that, right? About talking yourself out of it, right? Yeah. It's really easy to kind of sit there and overthink it and talk yourself out of it. Because I remember we, we were had it because I, I was I was going through a transition. I, I, I was at the public defender's office and doing criminal litigation. And I was kind of already my mindset was more on, on inflow and I, and I recognized that and I realized that. Yeah. And I think when, you know, when we started talking about it, I know you're, you're cautious about it because again, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, what yeah. are, and then I was cautious because I was also like, well, I have my family and my mortgage and like, I can't, yeah, just, like, leave, to pay, I can't yeah. just leave this. Like, so we got to kind of do it slowly. And I remember we, we talked about, Inflow. We we had all these plans and we started drafting up all these things until it got to the point where we we're just like, just do it. Yeah, <laughs> just do it. Right. Yeah, it got to the do point where we're just like, let's just do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of times, like it's like experience. Like, a lot of people think like they don't have enough experience to do it themselves. Right. There's a lot of people who work in a profession that they love working in, but they're employee at that job. Right. But maybe they want to be the head honcho. They want to hang in their own shingle and they want to start their own business. Sometimes what holds them back is. I don't know if I'm ready for that, right? Like we talked to a lot of attorneys, like I'm always advocating for lawyers to start their own practice anyway. But a lot of times, a lot of the pushback is, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can like take on and all that responsibility myself. I don't, I don't trust my experience. And that was kind of like what I was struggling with was like, obviously, yes, I was confident, but also struggling with the fact like whether the time was right. And I'm like, maybe a little bit more experience in being a lawyer, like at a, a corporation or a larger firm would help. So I was looking for jobs, right? Yeah. I was looking for jobs with having right. trouble actually getting one or at least getting one that aligned with me, right? right? Once again, it was the pandemic. Right. Like a lot of other people, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew my values right. and I knew my worth at the same time. Yeah. So I was like getting, going to these job interviews and I just nothing was, nothing was making sense. I had job offers, but I just knew I would be unhappy and I didn't want to get myself caught up in something that would get me stuck basically. Yeah. So at that point I was like, what, like, let's just do it. Let's go for it. And that's kind of like inflow's main email address is let's do this yeah. at I'm inflow.com because yeah. we were like, let's just do it. Let's right. Do, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember that. And I think one of the most, I, I mean, the, the most memorable things about that, that time was the, I mean, it's still though that, and that's the, the like electricity behind what we're we're doing right with inflow i mean i remember just ha having like this horrible day or at work or whatever and then i would sit there and talk to you about the plans of inflow and it would just like revive i'm not joking like i and that's that's the one thing that i i could not have imagined having a a, a better partner in in any of this because i think that excitement that we had right like mm -hmm. early on like just starting it i i i remember you, we were talking about that right yeah. like, dude I, I needed that like i needed to talk about this because it just like it revives the excitement about it and remember our doing our our, our first client remember going through that yeah our, our kind of our very first and especially dealing with with copyrights and all that stuff and just kind of thinking about that right like thinking about that first client and kind of how deep we went into into that that whole that thing and really obviously we can't talk too much about it but it was very contentious and we immediately started going up against this other council and like yeah. other attorney and it was like 
it was pretty pretty intense yeah it was intense but also like fun yeah right like it was a lot of fun it was like a crazy case yeah. it was a little bit of copyright it was yeah. a little contract a little employment a little bit meeting with the other attorney yeah. things like that an attorney who i already kind of knew from my time working at the council member's yeah. office so yeah it was it was fun and that kind of gave us a little taste of like what we wanted to do right yeah. and i think at that point we knew like this is something that we could do yeah. that we could be good at because we were successful in that. We got, right. at the end of the day, like there was no harm, no foul upon our clients. So yeah. And, yeah, that and, just... we, and I think for, for if just me thinking about the work that you actually put in beforehand, right? Beforehand, as far as the copyright and all that stuff and how valuable that became in that dispute, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thinking about that and like, now thinking about how, what we do in inflow and really giving this proactive advice on like, hey, protect your, get your 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 legal ducks in a row early on, and it's gonna help you in the future with disputes. And I think that yeah. was a perfect example. Oh yeah, absolutely. And just to elaborate for, for yeah. the audience, is just basically it came down to a copyright dispute. Whereas yeah. six months before that, we told the client to register a copyright to a photograph. Yeah. And at the time, it's hard to say like. You, Hey, a copyright's gonna help you, and they believed us, and they did it. Yeah. And then six months later, they not only just have a registered copyright, but now it's actually being leveraged and used to assert their ownership to yeah. someone else who was exploiting that and photograph. Monetizing it. Yeah, yeah. So, and it wasn't even just like it was like, it was like somebody claiming it was their photograph that licensed it to an actual company to use that photograph in their products. Yeah. Without exactly. paying our client anything yeah and it was just it was just such a cool it was almost like a, a law school bar exam type of question right <laughs> it like, really was yeah it's hypothetical that has like all these issues in there but it was definitely it all came down to that proactive advice six months earlier yeah. where if we didn't have that registered copyright if we couldn't flex that in the cease and desist letter they probably would have told us to go pound rocks right and hey we're going to move forward with this and we don't care what you right. say but you you flash a government document yeah. and you say, hey, this is proof I own this and now it's on you to try to figure out that I don't in court. Guess what? Like, it didn't even matter who thought they owned it. Yeah. It was a company that said, hey, we don't wanna get involved in we, this. Like, yeah. we don't know who owns this, so guess what? We're gonna cut sales. We're gonna cut these products and trash this inventory. So yeah, it was just, yeah. at the end of the day, once again, no harm, no foul yeah. on a client. But it was because they took that advice to get that registered copyright yeah. early on, so. yeah. And yeah, and that kind of just kicked it off, right? And yeah, I mean, tell tell us a little bit about that. Because I mean, and obviously throughout this podcast, we're always going to be talking about processes and, and procedures and, and little tips on, on how to make your business more efficient and your law firm more efficient. I mean, for if any lawyers are, are listening, but tell us about that, about kind of the whole build out, right? Because I think that's one of the most impressive things from me watching you build out the systems and build out the stuff how we always use that the bootstrapping it yeah and we literally did that here so just kind of just kind of overview of of, of all that yeah so i guess like the biggest overview really comes down to i kind of always had this like skeptical look about the industry right, right? about the legal industry in general and yeah grounded in actual evidence, just knowing that the legal industry doesn't work for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. There's 
clearly benefit, like there's clearly people who benefit more yeah. than others, right? And they always say the best way to complain is to make things better. Yeah. So that's what we, that's what I wanted to do with Inflow. I wanted to show intrinsically and extrinsically, right? And what I mean by that intrinsically is the fact that the legal profession isn't as great as people think it is, right? There's a lot of unhappy lawyers out there. Yeah. There are a lot of lawyers who are working idiot trying to build I don't know how much they're billing a year, but they're on these billable quotas. They're working like 80 hour weeks. They're really grinding. Yes, the pay is good, but that's what we call golden handcuffs, right? There's just like a lot of mental health issues. There's just, once again, a lot of people just upset and like maybe realizing that being a lawyer wasn't right for them. And I thought that was messed up. Yeah. I was like, I didn't do all this work to be unhappy at the end of the day. Right. So I wanted to create something and work environment where I felt happy, in, right? So that was one. Second, the extrinsic part of it is the fact that that access to justice gap, right? Yeah. Where almost 90% of people who need a lawyer don't have access to one, yeah. which is a huge issue that a lot of times the legal profession pawns that off to like nonprofits to take yeah. care of or the government through the PD's office to right. take care of or just other initiatives that it's not everybody, it's not every attorney's problem, but it should be, right? right. It should be like if we're going to be a profession that prides ourselves on justice and serving everyone, then it needs to be on everyone's kind of radar to, to tackle. So extrinsically, we also wanted to basically provide legal services to more people. Right. And looking at ourselves as business attorneys, we were trying to figure out the best way to basically democratize the ability to have general counsel or right. having counsel services in general, right? Because once again, proactive advice is so important right. to launching a business, owning a business, to being a creator, to being a creative, right? Whether right. you're an artist, things like that. Um, so we that was kind of like the push, the right. initial basically grand push about that. And the systems we put in place was basically to make that happen, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people say like, hey, like how can you do so much for your clients but charge so little, right? right? And it just comes down to the way we built Inflow, yeah. right? Yeah. Comes down to the fact that we have low overhead, right? right? We don't have a large corner office in a building downtown, right? We right. don't have staff. We don't have just like fancy cars that we show off to our clients. We don't have right. crazy marketing that we pay for for billboards and TV ads and things like that. Our overhead's super low. And instead of passing those savings on to ourselves, right. we pass it on to our clients, right? Right, And being able to launch a subscription model that makes that sustainable, right. being able to show up on social media as opposed to paying an ad agency to run ads for us. These are all things that are one just are gives us the ability to be more generous with what we can provide Services. in our service yeah. and at the same time just be more approachable to our audience. Right. So, yeah. Well, no, absolutely. And I think the a big kind of shift too that we saw with social media, right? Especially during the shutdown is that there's this huge boom in kind of the the, the social media economy, right? Booming up and we're watching all these accounts. And I don't know if you remember, remember I, I, I sent over an account of this really big influencer that ended up losing her name because Nintendo ended up suing her. And I was like, man, if, if she would have talked to an attorney early on, just about like trademarking, like her brand and her name, anybody would have told her that, Hey, like you probably can't use that. You're going to, you're going to lose it. And there was this video of her crying and she lost this this name and this brand that she built over yeah. so many years and had 
hundreds and thousands of followers. And that was, that was also eye opening, right? Because we kind of fell into this, this new market, right? There was this yeah. whole social media boom, right? Which was perfect for the, the business model, right? But it was perfect for what we were doing because maintain virtual again, passing those, those, those savings onto the clients allowed influencers and, and online retailers to be able to afford legal services. And I think you, you always bring that up whenever we have consultations, but you're always like all these big corporations have their in-house attorneys and they yeah. have them right there in their, in their office. And they could just literally send an email, walk there and ask them something proactively and they'll get some guidance. Yeah. Why can't your, your mom, right. And your sister or your small businesses or an influencer have that same access. They can. Yeah. And that was the whole thing. I mean, like that's the best way to utilize us, right? right? If you could prevent something right. from happening down the line, yeah, just by just simply education really right. comes down to, or just advice. Why not? Right. right. Instead of letting an issue develop into something that is eventually going to be very expensive and a huge headache. Right? right. And at the end of the day, I also don't want to have that to deal with that headache. Right. We are problem right. solvers and yes, we're lawyers and we're supposed yeah. to help our clients through those situations. But at the end of the day, if we want to, we want to keep both our clients out of that situation, but also ourselves out of the situation. Right. You don't want to be in sad situations all the right. time and trying to dig our clients out of holes. We want to help them avoid the holes exactly. to begin with. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's been, if, if you really think about it, just the, the culmination of, of all of these experiences, right? Your experiences, my experiences, and kind of just, just the situation that we're, we're put in the timing, it all just kind of just worked out perfectly. And yeah. that, I think that's the, the greatest thing I think of, of kind of what we're building here, right? That it is kind of a perfect storm. And I kind of yeah. going back to this whole nautical theme, yeah. it was, it was really the perfect storm, yeah. the timing, the, the markets, the, the time for change. I think people are starving for, for change, right? They, yeah. the, these old kind of bureaucratic type of systems, these old school systems, like law and even just like accounting and like these very old traditional businesses kind of need a little kick in the in the butt right and yeah. kind of revamp them and i think our clients appreciate that yeah they see that and we are we are disrupting the legal field we are and we're proud of it we might get some slack from from other attorneys but what it's it was time yeah and, and i think it's it was just us kind of they always say like you don't want to be market driven but you want to drive the market right and i think that's so important because we're not just seeing like, obviously I, I would say inflow is kind of an example of that, but we're seeing that with all our clients as well. Like there's a lot, this is a shift in general, right? Right. From the creator economy to also the fact that there is a lot of power being basically shifted from larger corporations who kind of like a few decades ago, basically ran everything to right. from the media to the news where now if you're a consumer, you have options. You're not just going to the big news companies anymore, but you can go subscribe to someone's newsletter, which is just literally one person curating the news for a specific, yeah. in a specific way that reflects your worldview, whatever it may be. Right. right. And then there's, you're no longer listening to the same 
cable television every day or the same right. music tell like the music right the yeah. radio channel and stuff like that you're able to go on spotify listen to exactly what you want not necessarily all artists from recording labels but independent artists as well like you're able to do that now basically because we've built through the internet social media and all the other kind of tools we have that allows the individual person to basically be their own media outlet which is fun and awesome but also doing it in a smart way right because right? it's just it's it's awesome right this is exactly why i advise other attorneys to to if they're looking to start their own business or start their own firm to do it because traditionally if we started this the traditional way if we did inflow and we were like let's just do it a traditional way at the end of the day we would just be doing legal work all the time yeah which is fine but like there's more like we can just be having more fun at the same time right, right? like look at us like we are able to do this podcast right we're able to make our own TikTok videos right. we're able to do our own branding figure yeah. out how we want to show up and then also experiment with doing legal services better at the right. same time because of the persona we put on and kind of identifying the exact kind of niche we want to fill so right yeah no you're absolutely right if we would have done this the traditional way we would have been working with these mid larger companies having us do these back disputes and all that stuff and it would have just consumed us yeah. with with yeah the the legal stuff right the stuff that most creators don't want to deal with right yeah but this allows us to not only be legal counsel but also business counsel social media account right yeah. a lot of times we're, we're we're giving advice on that on just social media on marketing so it's it's just been it's been great and it's awesome to hear your story kind of on how it all ties in, right? All your upbringing, how that experience had an impact on the way you look at stuff and the way it's being implemented within flow. It's, I think it's inspirational and you know, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank, I think it's just between your story and my story. It's like mine comes from a very like inspirational kind of, I was inspired by seeing other people do it. Yeah. My mom, my sister, just taking a lot of like what I learned from being on semester at sea, Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and just my experience, like just knowing I wanted to do something that would have bigger impact than just me being a transactional lawyer, right. getting paid for X amount of work. Yeah. And then you, who literally lived through it, right? Like literally like, we're a business owner and are a creator and able to, when you speak to our clients, speak from, perspective that is you can actually basically connect with so i think yeah. i think it's just that culmination of both yeah. what we kind of been through yeah just comes together so perfectly in what we do and i think that's what's great yeah. about being able to work closely with you absolutely so. and that's I, again i i think going back to it i think it's it, it, for me it, we have such a great dynamic because it's like we we do we push each other in our certain ways. Like we, we know how to like motivate each other, but I'm telling you, like any, every time you, you come up with a new process or something that's like automated now in the system and like your excitement about it is so addictive. And like, I get all excited about it. <laughs> and then, and then hopefully I get excited about just other things where I'm just like, yeah, no, we just got to do it and like, do it. Can you believe it? And what if we do this? And what if we do that? And I think we feed off each other and the yeah. excitement is contagious. And hopefully that's translating to our clients and, and the people that are, that are following us on social media. And they could see that 
we're coming from from a true place, right? Yeah. It's 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 this it's not this this is us. We're we're actually excited about helping our clients and we always say this and uh, pretty much every consultation we we are living vicariously through our clients. We are 100%. We love it. Regardless of the type of business, that excitement that we get from our clients, we know what it's like now. So yeah. we feed off of it. Yeah, I know. Exactly. This is kind of like the best thing about what we do is like getting on those initial calls with someone who's like launching their business yeah. or excited about putting something out into the world that they worked hard on for a while. And being a part of that in a way is just like very fulfilling. Yeah. And then just doing what we can so they can pursue that better, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, we just want to give them peace of mind yeah. that they could work on the parts of their business that brings them joy and we can handle what we're good at yeah. and the skill sets we have that allows them to do that, which in turn allows us to also do the same thing by yeah. providing the services we offer in Inflow in diverse different ways compared to what other law firms are doing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And it, again, it goes back to the, the title of this podcast, right? Rise and flow, because that's kind of what, what we're preaching. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Just step up, just do it. Get rid of the, the excuses, show up and again, go, go with the flow. What makes you happy? It, it, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I was never into this, the whole, like putting stuff into the universe and you know, how, but I, my perspective has changed since inflow because it really, it really is. It's, it's really more about what, what you put out there is how, what you're going to get back. And it's, it's been an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just going back, yeah. Rise and flow, right. As opposed to rise and grind. A lot of people, that's a common phrase. Yeah. There shouldn't be a grind, right? Yeah. Like what you're, if you're showing up and doing what you want to do, like why grind yourself down? Just right. like, and that's why we chose flow, right? Just like yeah. flow with it and, you know, just embody yourself and what brings you joy and yeah. be able to do that for others. And we find that at the end of the day, that's super fulfilling and kind of a lot of people who end up getting jobs or starting businesses that could be very profitable mm -hmm. seem to be sometimes missing that yeah. and sometimes lack that happiness that everyone's after. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think that if you're able to be show up, be generous and enjoy and surround yourself with people who are down with what you're providing and down with what you align yourself with, yeah. like, Honestly, what more can you ask for? So, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think just going back to what you were mentioning with like putting things out in the universe, I think that goes 100% to your story too, right? Where it's like you started off by just showing your love to Star Wars and your replica collection. And mm -hmm. what did that lead to? It just right. led to other people who align with that to connect with you. And yeah. then, yeah, look at you now. So, <laughs> great. Cool. Well, thank you, Ray, for sharing all your story. I think, again, these first two episodes, we wanted to kind of give give our audience a little a little introduction to, to us and what what drives us kind of what drives inflow. Right. Because at the end of the day, yeah, inflow is us and these experiences and what we want to give back to our our clients and our community, really. So thank you again, Ray. Really appreciate you sharing. Yeah, happy and excited to continue on and bring on other great creators and entrepreneurs who can share their stories as well yeah. and how they got to where they're at. So absolutely stay tuned. Well, hopefully you're inspired and obviously make sure you follow our, our 
our channel. And yeah, we'll definitely be having some awesome guests. Yeah. We'll see you guys next time. So long. Thank you.